and um, turns first of all. Um, all right, let's go to Hebrews chapter four. There's a couple places that I wanted to go or could go, and um, we're going to end up back in the Old Testament for a while. But let's start in Hebrews chapter four. It's kind of interesting how many of the hymns that we sang tonight, and some I picked for that reason, but some that they talked about the heart. Scriptures that were shared talked about the heart. And so I want to just kind of set a couple things out, a couple principles to begin with. Um, when, when the Bible mentions the word heart, and it does, hundreds of times, you can, always, you can tell by the context what kind of a heart it's talking about. Right, um, and as Christians, as un- unbelievers, just have one heart. All right, I'm not talking about the thing that beats and pumps blood. The unbeliever has one heart. That's a depraved heart. The old nature. That's all they have. Uh, when we get saved, we get another heart. We have a new heart. We have a new nature. We still have the old heart. All right. So, um, so I, that's what I'm, I'm doing tonight. I, I realize most of the time. On Sunday nights, it's all Christians, it's all believers. Once in a while, we have a visitor who's unsaved. And so I understand that. I understand pretty much who's going to be here and what, you know, what the relationship to God is, but any but the Lord. So I don't, that doesn't really, I, I try not to let that affect what I'm going to preach. I don't think I should. I, I need to preach what I believe God leads me to. And when it comes to the heart, it's, it's obviously relevant to everybody. Because even though we're saved, we've still got that old heart. Okay, we've still got that old nature. And so, anyway, I just wanted to say that at the very beginning. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter four and just verse twelve. This is a verse that we were challenged. In fact, talking about youth groups and youth rallies, and uh, this is a verse that was kind of like the theme was often quoted. And um, I remember those old days of Bible quizzes, and the church that won got the little banner, you know, and everything like that. Anyway, Auburn always won. They had a, a smart aleck kid that knew everything, so they always won. But anyway, uh, unfortunately, he has basically, I know this kid, I grew up with him, and uh, unfortunately, last I knew, he'd, he'd completely walked away from God, Be- basically became an atheist. So all that knowledge doesn't necessarily make a person a spiritual believer. And so our attitude should be, I always, I need to learn more, need to learn more. Like the hymn we sang, teach me thy way. There's no, there's no end to that. That's a lifelong thing. So anyway, Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is quick, that means living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we're going to come back, we're going to look at that verse, and we're going to keep looking at it here for just a moment. But let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word tonight because it covers every area of our life. It teaches us everything that we need to know, to how to know thee and to know Christ, and how to live in this world, and how to prepare for the world to come in heaven. Thank thee for the Holy Spirit who, who inspired the word and, and who moved upon the hearts of the men who wrote it. And that same Holy Spirit guides us and directs our lives and, and gives us power. And I pray for his help tonight as we go into these passages of scripture. And Lord, help us to learn very important truths concerning our own hearts. And so we, we commit this time to thee now in Jesus' name. 
Amen. We're going to define the heart here in a moment, but before we do that, as you already, you already I'm sure you know this already, that the, that term heart is mentioned a lot in the Bible. In fact, we could just put it this way, Christianity is a matter of the heart. And as this verse tells us, the word of God strikes at the heart. That's God's intention for it. Um, in fact, I, I just, in the book of Proverbs alone, the word heart appears at least 81 times, and I checked, I looked in the concordance and just counted down, 81 times in Proverbs alone, heart. Um, so the saying, that's what we're going to deal with tonight, the saying, that old saying, follow your heart, is popular and has been for many years. And there's been songs written about the heart. You know, I'm stuck talking about secular songs, you know, follow your heart and uh, let your heart be your guide, let your conscience be your guide, all those kinds of things. Well, the question is, is that a good idea? Is that a good practice for us to follow our hearts? I remember a few years ago, dealing with a Christian who was going through some issues and, and they, they, um, they were looking, they were thinking about uh, doing some things in their life, making decisions that were obviously contrary to the Bible. By the way, Christians do that sometimes. And so another friend of hers told her this, a Christian lady told, not nobody here, so a Christian lady told her, just follow your heart. And she came to me. And I said, follow the Bible. Because in this particular case, they were at odds. For her to follow the Bible would to de be to deny her heart. For her to follow her heart would be to deny the Bible. Long story short, she followed her heart instead of the Bible. And so made some decisions that, anyway. And I, I've had people tell me that all the, over the years. I can think of another individual who said to me, Pastor, I know the Bible is against this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Claim to be a believer. All right. So that, those are kind of extreme cases, but and yet those things come up in our lives. And so I'd like, like us tonight to consider what does God's word have to say about our heart and if we can follow our heart as on everything else the word of God is our final authority. In fact, we have no other authority than the word of God. And so very interesting verse that we just read. And I want you to just think about the whole verse is a tremendous verse. Um, the word of God is quick. In other words, powerful and living. Um, it, the idea there, I remember the old days, um, I think, I forget what it was, but uh, mercury, mercury, the little thing, used to be called quicksilver. I don't know if you remember that. Because it was so, it was moving all over the place. And that's what the idea quick in the Bible means, alive. And, you know, living and powerful and, and alive and so on. But I want us to think about that last line of that verse that the Bible, the Word of God, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So in other words, the Bible gets right to the heart. And so uh, just a couple terms there. Um, the word discerner means one who is able to discern or judge. So the Bible knows what's there and why. Um, it is a discerner of the thoughts. The word thoughts here is, is the idea of thoughts, reflections, designs, ideas. So whatever's in our heart, whatever's in our mind, whatever we're thinking about or considering or reflecting upon, the Word of God knows all that. All right? 
and the, the idea then, of course, is that the Bible deals with it. Okay, the Bible teaches us. And then that word intents. The intents are attitudes and intentions. Plans, ambitions, that sort of thing. Okay, the Bible knows all about that. Now what about the heart? The heart here emphasizes the inner man. It's synonymous with the mind. The, the, you know, the total totality of our thoughts, our thought processes. It's the seat of thought and emotion, uh, the inner man, and the word has an emphasis on thinking and understanding. All right, so mind and heart kind of really kind of go together here. Um, so let's take a look at some scriptures. What does the Bible say about the heart in general? Now I'm talking about the human heart, human nature. Uh, maybe this would help. I'm talking about the heart that we're born with. All right. So let's look at it. Number one, Jeremiah chapter 17. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. I want to share with you first of all that the heart, the heart, our heart, your heart, my heart, is deceitful and desperately wicked. All right. Jeremiah 17, verse nine. The Bible says that really plain, plainly. Here. So the first thing in this passage I want us to take a look at as the, is the condition of the heart. It says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Again, that's our nature, that, that, that natural heart. Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're going to take a look at verse 10 in a minute. But first of all, what does the Bible say? What does God's word say? The one who is the discerner, the one who is, for the Lord says, I search the heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. So he knows. He knows us inside and outside. Um, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so he says this. First of all, it is deceitful. Deceitful. And the word deceitful is kind of a, it's an interesting word. It's, it's, you know, when you go from one language to another... You know, sometimes the literal, it doesn't make sense until you, until, you, until you kind of think about it and let it play out. But the word deceitful means deceitful and literally bumpy or rough. And the idea of that word is like it's like a, a hill or a path that's filled with rocks and roots and, and stumps that impedes progress. And so hence the idea of fraudulent, insidious, subtle, or false. So the heart's deceitful. Um, and obviously because sin entered into the world and our heart became darkened, became depraved, and because the, the our heart is easily attracted to the things of the world, and because the devil works in our hearts, even us as Christians, but he tries. So one of the, we could look think just a simple illustration. Our heart can make us think that we're okay when we're not. A lot of people think because they have a religion or because they do this or do that or don't do this or that, that they're all right, they're okay. That's a deceit, that's, a, that's the heart deceiving an individual. And it's also possible that a person's heart will try to make them think that they're not all right when they are. I'm, think, I'm thinking about doubts about salvation, fears, guilt, things that God has already taken care of that our heart brings up, all right? 
Um, those are a couple of examples. So we're going to take a look, hopefully, one of these Sunday nights in that passage in um, 1 John where it says, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. We're going to take a look at that. If our heart condemn us not, then we have boldness before God. We're going to take a look at that because that's really an important passage of Scripture. I was reading a Christian book um, a while back, and it's kind of like a series, and it's about a detective, a female detective who had been, she of course had been lost like everybody else, and in her lost condition, one of her problems was that she drank a lot. She drank way, way too much, and she got saved. And even though she was saved, the temptation to drink was still there. Now, and she was overcoming it, you know, by the power of the Lord, by with prayers and fellowship from other Christians. At one time, um, there she would. Her heart was telling her, "Hey, one little drink won't hurt. One little drink won't hurt. One little drink won't hurt. One little drink won't hurt." So her heart just kept doing that until finally she took a drink. Then she took another and another and another until she drank a whole bottle of vodka and was plastered. Then that same heart said, "Ha ha! How can you be a Christian and drink?" See, the, heart, the heart's deceitful. And so, uh, anyway, so then, not only is it deceitful, notice it says deceitful above all things. So in other words, the idea there is, um, means the word above means more than. Okay? Or not necessarily on top of, but more than. So if, you were, if we were to make a list of all the things that deceive us, the devil, whatever, the world, Bible says the heart is at the top of the list. It's deceitful above all things. Okay. Now, so that's something to think about. And then the Bible also says here that it's desperately wicked. Now, the word "desperately" is and it means beyond curable. All right. Now, that's again that, that's our, that's the old heart. That's the old nature. That's the human, the human natural heart, mind, and so on. Way of thinking, all those things go into that heart. And the idea there is that it is, it is wicked beyond cure. It is wicked beyond change. And here's, I want to say this about our heart. We need to understand this. We need not to be um, surprised or whatever when we continually battle the old nature. Okay? Because here's, this is the truth. The word, the, the word of God indicates when it says that the heart is desperately wicked, that it means this. It can't be fixed. It can't be improved. It can't be changed. It can't be regenerated. It can't, it, it can't do anything. That's why we're going to leave it behind. See, there's nothing in Scripture that ever tells us that our, our old nature is ever going to get better. It's not. So the Bible says the only thing we can do is overcome it by the power of the Lord. All right, and we'll, we'll talk about that hopefully at the end of the message. We get, let's, let's continue on here. And then the question is this, who can know it? Who can know it? Well, I know myself. No, we don't. No, we don't. Who can know it? Good question. There's an answer. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I, the Lord, I try the reins. There's a Hebrew word that's translated reins. Literally, it means the kidneys. 
and it means it's in the idea there refers to the most secret part of man. See, we even though the Bible uses the heart, when it wants to get at the very core, the very deepest part of us, it uses the word reins, which means kidneys or even intestines, that sort of thing. Um, if we were living in Bible days, and uh, it wasn't in English, of course, but if we were to translate the Hebrew expression, um, we wouldn't say, I love you with all my heart. We would say, I love you with all my guts. All right? My liver. My kidneys, my bowels. In fact, the New Testament. That's why. That's why the, the Word of God in the New Testament talks about bowels of affection, right? So it's used in a lot of different ways. When the Bible says, for example, that when the Lord saw the multitude, He was moved with compassion, and that literally means His gut wrenched. See, that's that's the idea. See, that that thing's a little different, different perspective. But but anyway, the reins, so getting back to what reins is, it refers to the most secret part of man, that which controls us, so to speak, motivates us, and makes us what we are naturally. And of course, the Bible says not good. That part of us is not good, never will be good, can't improve it, anything like that. And so the Lord says, I'm the one, I try the hearts, or I search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And of course, to the unsaved, that's bad. What they're going to get is eternity in the lake of fire, and that somehow it is based on their works, not whether they're going to get go to heaven or hell, but how bad, how severe their judgment and punishment will be. And even within the New Testament, we as believers, thank God we aren't going to be judged for our sins because Jesus Christ was already judged for them. The judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with sin. It has all to do with our service for the Lord. And he will try it. Same word here, as used here. He will try our works, what sort they are. Okay, And we won't be able, we won't be able to use excuses or anything. It'll be, it'll be what it is. We've either served the Lord or we haven't. And so anyway, so that's kind of an off little on another subject. But God knows our hearts. We don't. They're deceptive. They're wicked. And so on. Now, let's go to number two. Not only that, but it leads to this. Our heart is untrustworthy. Let's look at Proverbs 28 and verse 26. So how about it? Should we follow our heart? Should we let our conscience be our guide? Let's see what Proverbs 28:26 says. This is, I'm sorry, this is going to be, this is a very blunt verse. I'm not sorry for the verse. Um, I'm sorry if this makes you uneasy. If it does, then it probably needs to. Um, verse, Proverbs 28:26. he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Let that sink in for a minute. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. So should I follow my heart? No way. Absolutely not. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. He shall be delivered. The word for fool here is the word foolish or insolent. So I had to look up insolent. What is insolent? Not that stuff you take for sugar. Not insulin. Insolent. Okay. It means haughty disrespectful, especially toward God and his word. And so that's what happens. Anybody who trusts their heart, he who trusteth in his own heart, is a fool. Why? Because it will take him away from the word of God, not toward the word of God, 
because our human nature is what? It is contrary to the word of God, right? And in a couple verses of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, um, the, the, the natural man, that's what we're talking about, the natural heart, receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Romans 8, 7 says, the carnal mind, another, same word for heart, or same idea, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to love God, neither indeed can be. All right? Now we can apply that in a lot of things, but one of the areas that, that today is these groups and these people who are trying to make our government, our leaders, and our society be godly when they're not. Okay? I mean, President Biden, unless he gets saved, is, is never going to be any different. In fact, he's going to get worse. And the same with all the Congress and the same with our people. And so passing laws to make people believe in God isn't going to work. In fact, it makes it'll make things worse. And so, um, so be, and he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. And we're foolish to think that unbelievers can act like believers. Okay, we need to give up that idea and pray that they'll get saved. All right, whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Obviously, walking wisely means live, walking and living in obedience um, to the word of God, being saved and then living for the Lord. All right, so, the, so our heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, it's untrustworthy, and now let's go to the New Testament. Number three, and that's the last thing we're going to look at on the negative side, our heart is defiling. You see what I mean in a minute in Mark 7. Here's a classic example, Mark 7, of the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with religiously, religious people, but people who are lost and had wicked hearts, all right? Mark chapter 7. It's interesting and very significant. When the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth, he did not try to make the ungodly live godly. He tried to make the ungodly trust him, and then their life would change. All right? And that's what we have to realize, too. It's not reformation. It's redemption. Right? It's not turning over a new leaf. It's being converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know that, but we need to, we need to keep that in mind. Because the, the social gospel is all around us. It's trying to make a new, you know, put a new person, you know, put a new suit on the person. You know, give them clothing, give them food. Nothing wrong with that, but that's, if that's the whole goal, then we fail. All right? Somebody said this years ago, the social gospel puts a new suit on a man. The true gospel puts a new man in the suit, and that, that's, that's very, very true. So we have a conflict coming up in Mark 7. Let's go in verse 5. We're going to pick it up there. Um, then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, that is, asked Jesus, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? They made, a, they made a huge thing because they saw, they, they were watching Jesus and his disciples. By now, they're already watching every move they make to try to find something wrong. And so his disciples sat down to eat and they didn't wash their hands. Now, Charlotte and Joshua and Timothy, 
if your mom says wash your hands, I'm not saying don't wash your hands, all right? That's a whole different, whole different thing. This is a religious thing to them. You didn't wash your hands, man, you're going to hell. Okay, that was the idea, all right? So so he said, why don't they said, why don't they follow our tradition? Tradition of the elders. That's that's exactly what it was. All right, let's go on. Let's read. He answered. Let's see what Jesus said. He answered and said to them, Well hath Esaias, or Isaiah, prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. All right? Now let's get that let's get that picture. That's the point. Jesus is making that point, and then he's going to illustrate it two or three different ways down through this passage. And I want so we need to move through this so you get the whole picture. So they honor me with their lips. Yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. Probably, I don't know how many percent, I suppose probably 90% of Americans would still say they believe in God. That's not enough, as you know. How be it, verse 7, in vain do they worship me. And how do they know if a worship is vain? Here it is right here. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So you got churches that teach what the Pope says, um, what some guru says. You know, the Mormon church teaches what the president of Mormonism says, what Book of Mormon says, and so they have But really, those are all traditions of men. They're false. They're deceived. So there's just a few examples. Same with the Jews in Jesus' day. For laying aside the commandment of God. Here's the thing. That's what they do. By the way, that's what every false religion does. That's what every liberal church does. They lay aside the commandment of God. Ye hold to the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. So you see what Jesus is getting at? I'm teaching my disciples to follow the word of God, not your tradition. For Moses said, now here's a, here's a grand example. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. Death penalty in the Old Testament for, you know, rejecting your parents. But ye say, here's one of their traditions, If a man shall say to his father and mother, It is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free, and ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father's mother. Now this was a tradition that the, the Pharisees had developed that you could make if you made a vow or a dedication to, to the temple to them, and your parents were in need, you weren't allowed to help them because you'd made a promise to give, give it to the temple. Okay? Jesus said that's wrong. That is wrong. Right? Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, verse 13, which you have delivered, and many, many such like things do. In other words, Jesus said, the list goes on and on. I, I keep, basically, he, I, I could tell you, I could stand here all day and tell you how you violate the commands of God for your, with your tradition. And when he had called all the people unto him, verse 14, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man, in other words, from outside a man, that entering into him can defile him, in other words, spoil him, or, or you know, make him bad. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. So in other words, eating with dirty hands may not be the best idea, but it doesn't defile a person spiritually or religiously. 
but notice it says that's what come, comes out. All right? Let's, get, let's go on. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 16. And when he was entering into the house from the people, by, by the way, you know, Jesus said he's pleading, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. You, you can't go on in these traditions or you're going to end up in hell. When, he's entered, when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, in other words, into his you know, digestive system, and goeth out into the draft, in other words, the elimination process, purging all meat. So the context here is meat. And I've gone around with people who claim to be saved to justify drinking and smoking and whatever because Jesus said nothing that comes in defiles. See, that, that's, that's totally, totally missing the point. Okay? Now talk about that. He's talking about food. Okay? Because, okay, verse 20. And he, and he said, That which cometh out of the man... That defileth the man. You might be thinking, what does that have to do with the heart? Well, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. So that's where these things come from. They're from the heart. From the heart. So and the point is this. Even that, that a believer can be influenced by these things. A believer can fall into these sins. Alright? And not, you know, he can't stay there if he's a true believer. God will chasten him and bring him out. But we're susceptible to these things. And I've heard of and I've known too many pastors who have fallen into sin that I never would be foolish or ignorant enough to say it can't happen to me. And if you say it can't happen to you, you're foolish. Because people fall all the time. Christians fall. So we need to be on guard. That's why the, when way back we started this series of messages, it's based on Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart means guard it, protect it. For out of it are the issues of life. And here's what Jesus is saying about that. The evil things, they come from within. They come from within. All right. Um, so what, the last thing tonight, our hope. All right? It, what, what, so how do we, what hope is there? Well, you've already done the first thing, if you're saved tonight. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a moment. And... Um, so there's two things that God has provided for us um, that will help in this matter of the heart. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a verse that probably everybody knows. And since, you know, Anna, men Anna mentioned in her testimony about growing up in youth group and things like that, I don't know about the youth groups that you went to, but our youth group, this verse was just drilled into us, right? Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And one of the new things is a new heart. We get a new nature. We're born again. We're, our spirit is regenerated. We have, so we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we have a new heart. But we still, of course, have the old heart. So salvation, that's the first step. That's our rescue. But then we have another thing, if you want to call it a thing, that is with us throughout our whole life. Yes, once we're saved, we're always saved, but there's something else special that God has provided. Let's go to Romans 6, and that special thing is sanctification. All right? Sanctification, the process by which God makes us holy, makes us more holy, makes us more like Christ. He, the process of sanctification is both a removal and a renewal. Uh, the process of sanctification is to get rid of the old things and the old life and the old habits and replace them with new habits and new things, all right? So let's go, we're going to pick it up in verse 17. Let's pick it up there. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Past tense, before, before salvation. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you from the heart. Salvation gives us the ability to obey from the heart. Right? Before we're saved, we can't do that. But after we're saved, we can and we should and we must. And God has provided everything that we need. And so there's that. They've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that biblical teaching starting with the gospel and then going on in the word of God. Now, being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, that is your, your being, literally your body, your body parts, Yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. Right? So there is. I, you know, I, I used to maybe not say it quite right. We say all the time, we say, if you're saved, there ought to be a change. No, that's not what the Bible says. It says, if you're saved, there is a change. But there is a yielding. We do have part. We can determine... The, the maybe perhaps the pace, the swiftness of the change in our life, you know. But there, verse 19 speaks about the two directions. All right. Before a person is saved, they were the servants of sin. Verse 17. When we're saved, we're made free from sin. 19. Before we're saved, we yielded our members servants to uncleanness. In, and to iniquity, unto iniquity. So we yielded to sin, which produced more sin. But now that we're saved, we are now servants to righteousness. That's what, when the Bible talks about Paul preached, be converted. And there's, that's, it's the idea that we're going this way. When we're lost, we're unsaved, we're going away from God. Our, the, our direction of our life is totally away from God. But when we are saved, it's a, it's a turning to Christ, and we're put on a new path, 
And there is that change. We are a new creature. We have all the resources of heaven helping us. And then our part is simply to yield to that. And not only to yield, but to desire. Because Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Alright? Verse 20, let's finish up the chapter. For when you were, again, past tense, when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. And some of you who were saved maybe a little bit older in life, you know that very much. You, you, if you were to look, look back on your life before you were saved, even when I was saved at like eight or nine years old, but if I look back at my life, even as a child, there was no righteousness there. My life as an eight-year-old boy before salvation was characterized by sin, all right? And so was yours, all right? And again, if you live longer before you're saved, yeah, you accumulated more, all right? Now, get this. What fruit had ye then, and those things whereof ye are now ashamed? I hope you are. I hope that every one of us are ashamed of the sins that we did before we were saved. What fruit did we have? No fruit. For the end of those things is death. That's where sin goes, right? Sin leads to death. But now being made free from sin, become servants to God, you have have your fruit unto holiness. And the end or the outcome is everlasting life. That's the goal. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And thank God for that. I think it was a couple weeks ago we looked at that verse in James that talks to the believer, then lust when it's conceived bringeth forth sin, Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So we, the Christian can go down that same road, and it will lead to physical death. God's chastening. All right, let's have one more scripture. Let's give a final answer to the question, should I follow my heart? Proverbs 3. Very familiar passage of scripture. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. And then we're done. We're done. For verses 5 and 6. Again, very, very familiar passage of scripture, but I hope that familiarity does not breed contempt. Just knowing, just knowing these verses doesn't mean a thing. We have to do them, all right? Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 17, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them, okay? It's the doing. It's not the knowing that's the most important. It's the doing. So here's what, here's what uh, Solomon writes. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. So in other words, not trusting, not following our heart, but getting our heart to follow the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. In other words, with all of our being. And lean not. In other words, don't rely on thine own understanding. Right? In all thy ways, <clears throat> acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. And so that has a double idea there. Don't, don't keep any part of our life back from God. Don't say, this is mine. But on the other hand, it means in everything. Seek his glory, his direction, his will in all of our ways. Christian, we should never be satisfied until all our ways are directed by the Lord. Now that may never happen down here because because of imperfection, but that should be our goal. He shall direct thy paths. And the idea there of that word direct is to make them level and remove obstacles. Okay? I was, when I think about that verse, I think of a snow plow. Just plowing the way, clearing the way. That's the idea of that word. Well, 
one more, let me say one more thing about that. To trust in the Lord also involves trusting his word and obeying his word. Okay, there's no other way. There are no shortcuts, no substitutes. Trusting the Lord means trusting in his word. All right? Obeying the Lord means obeying his word. You cannot separate those two things. And so I hope that this, so that be, be encouraged tonight, just be warned, be reminded, whatever, however word you want to put there, we can't trust our own heart. All right? We mustn't follow our heart. It'll get us into trouble every time. All right? Solomon was the wisest man, probably, who ever lived, besides Jesus, probably besides Adam, before he fell. But you know what? Solomon followed his heart. He had a heart for women. Women that he shouldn't have. That's, that's an example of a godly man who could, be, who could go astray. And so we can go astray too. So don't, let her, don't follow our hearts. Follow the Lord. Father, thank you for the word of God tonight. Thank you for its, its teaching, its instruction. Thank you for the warnings tonight. And also thank you for the blessing. Thank you for all that thou hast done for us providing for us. And Lord, help us to, to even to pray along with the songwriter who said, teach me thy ways, thy ways, O Lord. And as the other hymn writer, something for thee, O God. Help us each to begin each day asking thee, God, what can I do for thee today? How can I be used? Something for thee. All right, we want to do that. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our closing hymn tonight, Trust and Obey. All right, Trust and Obey. They have to go together. <laughs> They're not separate. 261, great, great hymn. And we're just going to sing one verse tonight. Um, verse number one. Um, hymn writer captured it right off, right off the bat. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. Very simple. That's what we need to do. All right, let's stand. 261, one verse only, first verse, trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory sheds on our way while we do his good will he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. All right, amen. And again, I want to thank everybody who shared tonight. It was a tremendous blessing. Thank you for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we could be here tonight. We just thank you, and, and it was good. Yes, it was good to be in the house of the Lord. And thank you for the singing and for the, sh the testimonies and the praise that was given to thee tonight and for the time in the Word of God. And may, may the Word of God go with us. Will God help us to keep it in our hearts and minds and 
Uh, let not the evil one or our, or our own flesh or the world catch away that which was given tonight. Thank you so much, God, for your love for us and that you care over us and watch over us even as we uh, leave from this place tonight. Many people, many needs. Uh, Lord, I, I forgot to mention earlier, but I want to pray for Pastor Dave Field as he has surgery this coming Wednesday to remove that tumor. And again for Jen, um, I think Thursday or Friday she's having the, the surgery on her tumors on her, in her throat. And uh, God, my brother-in-law Dan, uh, continue to, to strengthen him. And just many others, dear Lord, and, and pray that uh, help us as we as we have opportunity. Thank, pray for this fellow that that Brother Robert mentioned tonight over there at work. Pray that he would come to realize his need of Christ and be saved. I pray for the, another fellow named Dan uh, that I met at the gym this week, and he just kind of poured out his heart to me. And just pray that he also. I pray that I'd be able to see him again and and even open the word. Just thank you, Lord. So many opportunities, and yet, Lord, I, we pray along to see fruit from these opportunities and people being saved and we just know lord that the devil knows he has a short time he's working desperately to try to stop people from being saved and lord I, we can't uh we can't do it ourselves i can't do it in my own strength and nobody else can here lord we need thy strength and thy power um and so we praise thee that we have that you have the power and just help us oh lord we pray in jesus name amen Jonathan. Jonathan.